I think honestly, I was so emotionally traumatized that I couldn't get my body to go through what was happening. I had all of these expectations for myself, from my coaches, that I really just felt like I was a failure. Welcome to the 10 podcast by Train Like a Gymnast, a podcast for formerly competitive gymnasts, dancers, and cheerleaders to come together as a community to realize their potential. Together, we go farther. My name's Danielle Gray, and I'm the founder of Train Like a Gymnast, here to help you become the best version of yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. On 10 I sit down with Olympians, Cirque du Soleil artists, former elites and collegiate athletes, stunt performers, and fitness professionals to show you that you're not alone. Welcome to the Tenno Podcast, Sarah. Thank you for joining. Yeah, so Sarah is one of our hashtag T-Lag team members. How are you feeling about that experience so far? Because it's still kind of a new thing for us. I am loving it. I've gotten to join a Zoom call with Carly Patterson, and then I got to do a digital summit, which was just awesome, and just all the perks and stuff. It's been really great. I've actually connected with a few people on Instagram too from it. So it's been really awesome. Yay. That's what yeah. it's all about. It's that <laughs> community and connecting you all so that you realize that you're not alone. You're not the only one who went through all this stuff. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how they're just like you. Are you relatable? Yeah. So I'm actually a circus artist currently living in Las Vegas. I moved here about six months ago from North Carolina. So very far away. Um, didn't know anyone when I moved out here. It was just me and my dog and my boyfriend, and we just kind of drove out here. But it's been great. So before that, I was a high-level competitive gymnast growing up, and I had some, you know, pretty big goals for myself, like a lot of people do, and they didn't necessarily all pan out. And then I had to learn how to accept that and adjust my plans and move on. So I think. A lot of people can relate with that, whether they were gymnasts or anything else in their life, just any kind of goal or even desire that doesn't happen or doesn't pan out the way you want it. And you kind of reinvent yourself and you learn how to move forward and find something new. So (laughs) exactly. And that's what we'll be talking about with Danelle Leva too, after, uh, you know, after your athletic career and that transition and moving into becoming a normal person. So Going back to, you said, you know, high-level competitive gymnast, what were your practices like? Like, if you could describe, you know, from the time you got back from school or whatever and you went to practice, what was that whole vision like? Yeah, so I was actually gym-schooled at the end of my career. So our practices on most days, on days we would have school, we would practice from 8 to 1, and then we would have a little like lunch break something. We'd do about three hours of school and then sometimes we would go back and practice again at night depending how our morning practices went or if we had a big competition or something coming up. So I was practicing anywhere between 30 and 40 hours a week. So it was definitely most days spent at the gym. Nothing else, just you know that little close group of people. But practices themselves towards the end you know, became pretty, pretty honestly, kind of toxic, just the the environment that we were in. It wasn't very healthy. It definitely wasn't healthy for girls growing up. But you know, we all had each other. And it was, there were definitely fun times. And looking back now, something I'm really happy that I went through. So 
<laughs> the love hate. So what level yes. were you at that, at that point? So when I left, I was a level 10 and I was also in the process of going to elite camps and clinics to be a junior elite. I was still too young to be qualified as a senior elite. So I was going through all the testings and clinics and camps for that. Got it. Okay. So what point did you switch over from having like a normal kid life to being gym schooled? That happened in seventh grade. I remember (laughs) I begged my parents and they were totally against it. They did not want to let it happen. They wanted me to stay in regular school, which back then all I knew and cared about was gymnastics and this was going to help me do that. So I begged and begged and they finally let me do it. So I did it in seventh and eighth grade. Wow. That's, that's really young. That's very, very young. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned uh, that towards the end, you know, it's, it became toxic and you started to fall out of love with the sport. So what does it feel like? And maybe someone who's listening is going through that right now. So what does it feel like, or what are those little red flags that signify falling out of love with your sport? Like what starts to happen when you know you're burning out? Yeah, definitely. For me, I developed a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. I didn't understand it at the time because I was so young. I thought it was just kind of normal. I was tired from all the practices. I didn't, you know, have a lot of outside connections with people or anything like that. But it was actually a lot deeper than that. I started, you know, mentally and physically getting just kind of sick. I was getting hurt a lot. I was constantly having to go to the doctor for different things. My stomach was always in knots. I just didn't feel, honestly, I didn't feel safe there anymore. I felt like I was having to kind of overcome something to go there every day, I guess. And it took me a while to realize that that's something that's not normal for a sport. That's not something that you're supposed to go through. And then I had to realize kind of, take a step back and decide, can I find this love again? Or is this something I need to just move on from? What helped you make that decision or like weigh the pros and cons? That was actually very difficult. I went to California for a summer for a week or two with my cousin to visit some family. And I remember the whole time I was there, even in the beginning, I think I was there for a week or two. And in the beginning, I had just gotten there. And all I could think about was, I don't want to go home because I don't want to go back to practice. I don't want to go back into that environment. And I was just thinking it and thinking it. And then something just kind of clicked. And I realized I'm not supposed to feel this way. I shouldn't be this sick about having to go into an environment. And so I remember I called my parents and I said, I, when I get back, I'm not going back to the gym. I'm going to enroll in real school. I'm going to go to high school and I'm going to try something else. So you never really had a last practice. You just kind of left abruptly. I went in and had talks with people when I came back, but I never really knew at the time, this is going to be my last practice. We were having a lot of gym issues then anyways. The main coach was leaving and there, was, there wasn't there was a lot of people left at that point from everything that had been happening. So it was kind of a weird transition for me. Everyone was going their separate ways, whether it was to another sport, to another gym. And so it was just kind of like a natural thing to happen. Right. Yeah, I remember when I left, mine was kind of abrupt too. 
And then after that, it was kind of just a trickle effect and everybody else started peeling off and oh, yeah. <laughs> it happened. That's normal. So how can, let's say someone is feeling these feelings right now, like they, they are dreading going to practice. It feels like a chore. How can current athletes who are feeling burnt out rediscover their love for the sport? Maybe they don't want to retire, like they want to like it, but something is stopping them from loving it and feeling that passion again. Yeah, I would definitely think you have to, you really have to make sure you're doing it for you. And in a sport, when you're so young, when you're doing it, sometimes that can be hard to understand that you want to, you know, make everyone proud. You want to please everybody. You want to be the best. And it's one of those things that you have to realize you're doing it for your own happiness, not for anybody else's. And so it's really, I think one of those things you have to sit down with yourself and think, okay, what do I need to make myself happy with this again? Whether it's taking a step back or whether it's finding another place or reaching out to different people to talk or even just remembering why you started in the first place. I really think that as long as you realize you're doing it for you and your happiness and no one else's, you could find that spark again. <laughs> so it's possible they have hope. Yes. <laughs> have hope. Wonderful. I would add to that too, because a lot of them are so young and they don't have that kind of awareness or ability for introspection yet, but really sit down and, and think, what are all the things I'm good at? What are all the things that I love in gymnastics? And then what are the things that bother me about gymnastics? And you look at the two and you, you might have less on the, the cons list, but then you think, what's the weight of each thing, okay. right? Is mental and emotional abuse from your coaches, is that heavier than all the things that you love to do and you're good at doing? So then Definitely. you look at that and you're like, okay, does that mean that I'm not in love with gymnastics or does that mean that maybe I'm just not in the right environment? Because yeah. I wish I had known that I could have changed gyms when I was at a certain point because only one girl from her entire gym ever made it to collegiate gymnastics. We all thought she was so weird because she was such a hard worker and she was almost like insane about training. So that was our only idol that we looked up to of like, okay, she, she's doing it. She's actually going. And I don't remember if it was a D1 or not, but you know, that should have been kind of a red flag. Like no one's ever gone to collegiate gymnastics from this gym and we don't, we don't have a pit. Like there were so many things that I just didn't realize were going to hold me back. And I was like, okay, I want to, I want to go to college, but it's like, it was so not realistic. I wasn't even surrounded by that level of training or seeing the possibility. So if you're in a position like that, where you have high aspirations, look at the environment, because I think that is something that's really going to help when you're surrounded by a different level that's pushing. Oh, yeah. So we're talking about these expectations here. And, and a lot of times we set really hard expectations on ourselves that are very unrealistic, but they can also stem from the expectations of others. So what were your expectations for yourself growing up? Like I said, I wanted to be in Olympics and then I was like, okay, well, let's just do college gymnastics. <laughs> and then it just kept going. So what were your aspirations? For myself, my aspirations, honestly, I was a people pleaser. I wanted my coaches to be proud of me. I wanted I never wanted to mess up, you know, I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to hit all the routines that I could in competitions. I wanted, I wanted to be an elite gymnast and hopefully go to the Olympics. I wanted to compete internationally and have that, 
that gymnastic dream that so many people have. So that's kind of what I had set my sights on. And I was actually in a similar situation to you when I was young. I was at a gym. I absolutely loved it. The coaches were amazing, but it was it wasn't a gym to be able to push me to where I needed to go. Right. And so when I was, I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade, I switched to this other gym. Mm. And in the beginning it was great. We had fabulous coaches and everything was awesome. And then we just had one coach who kind of had a little bit of a, um, an ego problem and a lot of every, all the other coaches left. And that's kind of where everything went went down but that desire to be an elite gymnast and that desire to be perfect and to hit all the routines and just I really think that I was obsessed with my coach being proud of me is one of the big ones mm, okay so when when those aspirations turn into expectations you expected yourself to be perfect you expected yourself to always please your coach you expected your coach to always be proud of you those kinds yes. of things is there anything else that like turns into actual expectations i expected this of myself really i just expected to do whatever was asked of me in practices and it became to the point regardless of whether i was hurt or sick or injured whether i was scared of the skill i had these expectations for myself that i wanted to go here so if i didn't do these things no matter what was happening, I wasn't going to get there. So it was really just, I expected myself to show up every day and to be the best possible gymnast. And yeah, I think that's yeah. what it was. Like Carly said, and, and she was talking about how, okay, at 16, she had an all around Olympic gold medal, right? Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. then with anything else she did, she expected herself to perform at that level as well. So yeah. that's something that, us gymnasts can get into because especially like ball sports for me oh my god <laughs> <laughs> like what is this external thing that I have to <laughs> so I like expect to be good at all of the sports that I do because I'm in control of my body I understand my body but then you throw in some kind of external thing and it throws me off and I get really frustrated <laughs> I can't do it and I can't do it on the first try same thing with me doing acro now, like at the Santa Monica acro green with my friends and all the circus people. If I can't get like hand-to-hand -hand stuff or an acro pop, I, like I've cried before. <laughs> and my partner would be like, calm down, we're just having fun. We're just like, we're not competing or anything. And I get that, but it's just, I expect myself to be able to do it. Like oh, yeah. I understand it and I know I can do this, so why isn't it happening? And I think that's a trap that a lot of us gymnasts, dancers, cheerleaders get into because you're expected to hit, you're expected to execute, like you said, your coach tells you what to do and you do it. But we just don't have a lot of patience with ourselves and we don't give ourselves the most grace. So when we have those expectations of ourselves, right, that's in a different category. So then what were the expectations of others that were placed on you? So from your coaches, from your parents, from friends, all that kind of stuff, what did they expect from you? Honestly, I was kind of my expectations for myself were pretty much similar to what my coaches and other people kind of thought of me. My coaches had realized I had this potential. They had me in a group of other kids that we were all kind of going the same path. They expected me to become an elite gymnast to compete, to kind of get their name out there. You know, that's what they want ultimately. So they expected that of me. They expected me to listen. We had kids that would sometimes get thrown out of practice and things if they weren't doing what they were supposed to or whatever. I was the kid, that was you. I was the kid that never got thrown out of practice. So my other teammates expected me to always be the one 
that would never do whatever, would never, you know, get thrown out, would always listen, would always. So that was kind of that for me. And then I had honestly a lot of expectations from parents in general, not my parents were pretty good at stepping away. They obviously had moments of tears when I told them I was leaving the sport, but a lot of the expectations for me came from other parents, really, in the gym. They saw me as the kid that worked really hard and would, you know, always hit. And if I didn't, I had parents come up to me and, you know, say, you're the reason we lost this meet is you fell and you never fall and stuff like that. Just crazy. Wow. Yeah. I just, I guess I had placed all these things that I wanted on myself and everyone saw that they thought I could do it. So they all just kind of pushed me that way. (laughs) Yeah. That's something too. I mean, this just goes for high achievers in general, even at, at work and in relationships, the one who seems to have it all together, they're the ones who keep getting things thrown to them because they know they can handle it. People are like, (laughs) yeah, okay. Oh, Sarah's got this. Yeah, she can do this. So then that's when high achievers start to feel overwhelmed because you're only one human. And yes, you're capable, but there's only so much you can do as a person. And when you start to feel that, then you start to feel this pressure of like, everyone's expecting me to do this. And if I mess up, if I'm not perfect, if I slip, if I fail, then that, because the identity of you as, oh, Sarah can handle this. And if you can't handle one thing, then that's disconnecting you from that identity of like, oh, she's got it together. And then yeah. you no longer have it together. And you're like, who am I? I'm failing. I'm a failure. And then it just spirals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely a tough one, but it's kind of irritating. It's good and bad at the same time, because it's a blessing and a curse because, okay, yeah, you have it all together. But then the people who just never have anything together, never get handed anything <laughs> they continue to not have it together and they're like i don't know what you're talking about life is cool and then <laughs> yeah, we should push the other ones who need to get it together and not necessarily reward because then that turns into like just striving for achievements thing but understanding the limits of somebody who can have it together back on track here so how did living up to or not living up to those expectations affect you mentally physically emotionally being living up to your own or not living up to ones of others? Yeah, it affected me a lot. I think that's really where a lot of my anxiety came from towards the gym is when I, I was really hard on myself and I had other people that had these things they needed of me. And if I wasn't fully doing what I was supposed to be doing or what I felt like I was supposed to be doing or my coaches, you know, in that kind of environment that I was in, you didn't always get the praise that you maybe should have or other things like that. So it's kind of, it really affected me. And so my, that's when my anxiety really started to take over and I didn't want to go into the gym because I didn't want to let anybody down. And it was easier to just bundle it all up. And I started getting hurt a lot. I had a few surgeries. I had a few injuries. I had a bunch of different things happen like that. I had about, honestly, I had a year period where I had there was a physical therapist who works like down the street from us. And I would go down there anytime I had things like I would leave practice, go do my sessions and then come back. And there was a time I remember I had, I was rehabbing my foot. I had like a boot on my foot and I was only doing bar stuff. And then I hurt my wrist and then I had, was rehabbing my wrist and then was only doing floor stuff. And then I hurt my foot again. Like it was just this whole thing for a period of time where I think honestly, I was so emotionally traumatized that I couldn't get my body to just go through what was happening. 
And I had all of these expectations for myself and from my coaches that I really just felt like I was a failure. I felt like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. This wasn't the way things were supposed to go. And then when I left the sport, ultimately, I felt like I had just quit. And that's something that a lot of gymnasts don't handle well, I think. You know, we we constantly, whether you fall, you know, you're doing a release move on bars, you constantly do it and do it and do it, and then you catch it and it's great and all this. And so I couldn't accept the fact that I had just quit, just given up, just let go of and let all of these people down. And it's something that took me a really long time to accept and to internalize and to realize was okay. You know, those coaches I haven't seen since. And it took me years to be able to realize I let them down. That's okay. Like I am not, I don't owe them anything. I owe myself and my family and the people that care for me and are there for me, I owe them everything. And that's what, yeah, it took me a while to kind of realize that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, a t that's really tough. But and like you said, it takes time. It's mm -hmm. not going to happen overnight. So what did gymnastics ultimately end up teaching you or not teaching you? One of the things I wish it had taught me that I think it should and that I think it teaches a lot of people is kind of how to stand up for themselves or how to speak up for themselves. A lot of times if you're in that kind of environment that's not healthy, you kind of learn the whole gymnasts are these little machines. You know, people report about that all the, these they're these little robots, they're these little kids who can do these crazy things and they just stand there and smile in their little bows and I was not heard. I was a, I was a yes man. I did everything my coaches asked of me. I did everything anyone asked of me and I didn't understand how to speak up for myself. And I, it took me a really long time to learn that after I left the sport, I didn't have that confidence to be able to express myself. So that was definitely something that I think that it should have, and it has the ability to do that it didn't. But things that it did teach me, it taught me hard work, it taught me discipline, it taught me how to fail, which is a big thing, whether it's from not getting a skill or falling out of me and not getting the score I wanted or ultimately leaving, it taught me how to adapt and a lot of the skills and everything that I learned there, I'm using now. So it's great. <laughs> right. And I want to go back to that part where you said about making decisions, standing up for yourself. So a few things here. One, totally not alone, where so many people, I don't remember if it was Carly or just someone else in our community, but saying gymnastics doesn't teach you, right? It doesn't teach you to make decisions because all decisions are made for you. Mm -hmm. This is what we're doing here. So then this is the problem that I, a lot of clients actually have with me is when they come to me for training, they can coach anybody else. But when it comes to coaching themselves, like they're not used to that because their coach always told them what to do, they executed. Now their problem is structure and accountability. Those are the two, the hugest things. It's like, I need to be told what to do and I need to make sure that I do it. Because if I'm told to do it, nobody's watching me, I'm not going to do it. Or if I have an accountability buddy, but we don't know what we're doing, it's not going to be effective. Like if you need those two things, structure yeah. and accountability. So something that is really i think that could be cool and i want to hear your opinion too is is maybe gymnastics coaches do some practices maybe one or two a month where the girls themselves program the workout and they come up with what they're going to do 
and the coaches lead them through it, but they're choosing and they're thinking about how am I going to, well, why would I want to do this? And like maybe little groups of, you know, maybe the, the level sevens do this, level eights do that. And I think that could be a really fun way to get the passion back and help the girls or boys make decisions for, for themselves and help them actually post athletics understand, okay, this is what I did and this is why I did it because I know I did that before. So when you say, you know, it has the potential and capability to teach athletes that, what do you think would need to change or happen? Honestly, I think a lot of what I've been seeing in gyms lately is all of this, all the things have come out about different coaches or different training styles or how unhealthy certain things are. And a lot of people are trying to implement different things or realize, you know, what works and what doesn't. I think that's part of it. When you're in an environment that's scary or that's not what it should be, you're definitely going to be scared to speak up and you're not going to learn how to stand up for yourself in that sense. So finding that healthy environment for gymnasts to learn and grow and thrive is definitely a start. But I think something like what you said too, where they get to write their own workout or anything like that, that is definitely something that could really, really help. I've done a little bit of part-time coaching at a gym and they do, I love it, they do games. So the coach will come in and you'll play like red or black on on the card and they have to guess if it's red or black. And if they guess right, they only have to do one of the skill. And then if they guess wrong, they have to do whatever the number on the card is of that skill. And depending on the level, you're not going to make a level 10 do 10 backhands, swing back layouts on beam and then come back and have to do 10 more because you're playing this game. But it's definitely something that I think has shown they get so happy playing these games and it just really brings the life back into it for them and stuff like that where they get to play a game where you're going to write your conditioning workout today, but I'm going to make sure you're not doing one of everything or something like that. Yeah, guidelines and (laughs) give them the freedom and the environment to feel like they can make those decisions for themselves. Exactly. Like, okay. I want you to come up with a workout that has three sets of something with reps between 10 and 25 and they can choose the numbers and all that, but like you've got the structure and the outline, but they choose what it's going to be. They choose the number between the range. So it's still possible and everyone does it. Like we used to do ab circles where each girl would choose an ab exercise and we'd go mm-hmm. around and do it like that. So then you end up hating that one teammate, but it's totally fine. You can <laughs> choose you it in groups. Yeah, because they choose the one teammate that chooses like the yeah. hardest thing to do. Yeah. Like, why would you? And you just, why? Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I love it. That could be really, really fun. If anybody's listening and has the power to do that, just try it as an experiment. So do you think it's important to fail and why or why not? I know you said it teaches you how to fail, but do you think it's important to fail in life? I do. I think at some point in your life, everyone's going to fail in some thing, whether it's in sports or in work or just in any kind of dream that they might've had, even as a little kid, like something is going to go through your life where you are not going to succeed and you're going to learn how to adapt, learn how to cope, become motivated in most senses. And then you can find other ways to succeed, whether it's in that thing or in something else. But having that background or that in the back of your mind of something that didn't work out the way you want it to 
it teaches you how to change yourself to become better or to become more, maybe it makes you realize you want that thing more, you know, and then you can make yourself go more for that thing. Or maybe it's going to be there. Maybe it's a stepping stone and you learn that that failure was something that helped you get to this other point that's completely unrelated in your life, but it still got you there and it still got you, that failure still helped you grow as a person. I love it. It's, I don't, I don't see failure as rejection or complete the end of anything. All it is, is just like redirection. And it's like, okay, well that method didn't work obviously. So <laughs> how can I change that method or do it a different way? That's how I live my whole life. That's how train like a gymnast still is happening. Cause mm-hmm. we've done programs and things that have failed and we're like, okay, so that's not working. Let's figure out a different way. Let's do feedback. Let's try this. Everything in life is an experiment. Nobody knows what they <laughs> We're all just trying to figure it out. So to, to kind of wrap this up and, and I ask, you know, every, every guest on the Tenno podcast, this question just as a closing. So what does it mean to you to train like a gymnast? Oh, so I knew you were going to ask me this because I've heard you ask this question to other people. And then <laughs> <laughs> to me, it just means, you know, to train hard, to show up for yourself physically and mentally. You know, when you're a gymnast, you've got to overcome different things like that. So you have to be able to show up for yourself in different kinds of ways like that. It's to challenge your body and to push itself, push its limits and just, you know, to try new things, even if they're scary. That's Mm. what I think it is. So (laughs) I like that. Ah, that was fun. I like having these conversations because again, it's all very similar because we all have the same experiences, but Mm -hmm. everyone has their own unique spin or angle on it because you mentioned release moves and I never well I started training them but like I never successfully did one on my own type of thing but I understand what you're saying it's like Mm -hmm. everything makes sense even though we're all at our different points and and some people listening will have competed internationally and you don't have that experience but they understand and they relate to it so Mm -hmm. I love how much these stories can connect people so if anybody wants to learn more about you has questions for you wants to follow your journey how can they follow you get a hold of you where can they find you and stop you well not stop you whatever so i actually post a lot on my instagram i post a lot of updates about my circus and just different kind of things like that in general. And it's Sarah Ritchie. It's just my name, all one word, make it simple. <laughs> yeah. So that's the best place. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with me and share your story with our listeners. I hope that you share this with your community and maybe they will learn something that they don't know about you. And I really appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot. Well, I appreciate you having me. This has been great. Thank you so much. Want to win a free coaching session from me? If you've loved everything you've heard in this episode or love Tenno in general, we want to hear from you, and we may even feature you in a future episode. So all you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, screenshot that review, and then send it to team at trainlikeagymnast.com. That's team at trainlikeagymnast.com to be entered. If you win, we'll contact you to schedule your session.